0: you may be seated. Thank you. Well, it's been our heart to get to know you because we're a family, but also because we all have gifts. And the the heart in getting to know someone is to Finding out those gifts and putting people in their sweet spot where they were designed to give glory in, in their gifts. Whether it be encouraging, whether it be writing letters, whether it be praying for people, whether it be singing, whether it be serving. All of us have a sweet spot where God has, has given us to, to, to give glory and honor to Him. So, uh, when Joanne was singing today, just singing from the depth of her heart, you know, the way that we only sing when we're in the shower? When no one's around, but to do that and to know that I'm just giving glory to God, that's awesome. And so part of that goal was finding, that's why we're doing some different things to finding out where God is, is still, uh, needs us and, and uses us to hold that body together. So thank you everyone for serving and in all different ways. And, uh, if you haven't found that yet, then, uh, we're going to keep, uh, getting to know you so we can find that for you. So thank you so much for all you're doing. Uh, my message today is entitled Trail Markers. Um, if you see that picture, it was actually taken a couple years ago. It was not taken this week, by the way. Um, I know it's hard to, I, if I could convince you, but a couple years ago, my wife and I did a, a, a lot of northern hiking around. We went to uh, Hartwick Pines when there's was about two feet of snow on our spring break. The rest of my colleagues were going to Cancun and Florida and Bahamas, and we went to northern Michigan hiking in two feet of snow. Um, But thankfully, there's trail markers around to kind of help get get you through. If you've ever spent any time hiking on groomed trails in the woods, you'll find a useful feature along the way if you're on the right track. Um, At various spots, you'll come upon trail markers or checkpoints that show you where you came from, where you are now, and also where you're headed if you continue your journey. Checkpoints serve as a great way to let you know if you're on the right track, especially on a long journey through unknown terrain. Wouldn't it be great if we had these checkpoints in life to let us know where we are and where we need to go to next to continue our journey in becoming more like Jesus and growing closer to God? Well, guess what? These checkpoints do exist. God gave us these trail markers in the Bible, but many have not used them as such. Today we're going to study these markers that Jesus purposely left for us to keep us on the right track and continuing to come to Him. So whether you're just beginning your journey, or recalibrating your route, or just looking for reassurance as you continue your trek, I want to take a closer look at eight checkpoints of our Christian walk. At the very beginning of His Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins with what is known as the Beatitudes. We're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 5 today. Now some have taught these Beatitudes as common blessings. And some have used the play on words and they say these Beatitudes are the attitudes that you should be at. You never heard that before? Okay. Yeah, okay. However, a deeper study into what? why they're there at the, at the beginning of this great teaching by Jesus. A deeper study shows us that there is a progression in these teachings that corresponds with our progress in becoming more like Jesus. And if we study them as such, they will help us to stay on track in a world that's continually trying to derail us. Are you ready to get into God's Word? Are you ready to get into God's Word? Amen. All right. Yes. All right. Listen, Jesus warns us about this thing about staying on track. Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14. He says, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Listen, it's not just this blanket thing, everyone goes to heaven. Jesus says right here, few find it. Few stop and ask for directions. Few go to God and say, God, I'm lost. Can you show me the way? One of the reasons why few find the way which leads to life is because few rely on the Holy Spirit to help them understand God's word to know His will. Therefore, right now, we ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten our understanding and open our eyes to His truth so that we remain on the path that leads to life. The Holy Spirit is faithful to guide us through the Word if we submit to His leading and come expecting for God to speak to us. Psalm 119, verse 105. In fact, this is our memory verse for next week. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Okay. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. With this truth in our minds, we are going to study now our first checkpoint on our journey with God. It's taken from Matthew five verse three. Go to okay. Matthew five verse three says, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." What does it mean to be poor in spirit? I will tell you, it has nothing to do with worldly poverty. It has everything to do with the brokenness that is required to begin our journey with Christ. None of us can begin with God until we reach the end of ourselves and realize that on our own, we can do nothing, right? Apart from Christ, I can do nothing. We can't even begin until we get to that place. People say, why do they have to get lost before they find Jesus? Because we need to realize we can't do the journey on our own. We need God to lead us. That poor in spirit is that brokenness that, that where we begin our journey with Christ. This place of hopelessness and desperation is a necessary brokenness that we must all come to in order to begin. Did you ever try to teach somebody something they say, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Yeah? That's, I mean, as a parent, you deal with it all the time, right? Try to teach your kids what I know, and then they go and mess up. And you're just trying to bite your tongue, not trying to say, I told you so. Right? Think about what God does. Obviously God doesn't do that, but, but, but when we come to God and say, I know God, I'll just call you and it gets really tough. And so God, because He gives us free will, He said, alright, go ahead. And when you're broke, you come back to it and say, gosh, I wish I would have done this earlier. We need to come to that place of brokenness first to begin with God. Amen? When we humbly come to Jesus broken, knowing that we have sinned, because the Bible says we all sin. When we know that we have sinned, that we can't fix our own condition, and that the world has nothing in it that can cure what is ailing us at the heart level, that we are in complete need of a Savior, then we are ready for Jesus. At this point of brokenness where we are spiritually bankrupt, God reveals Himself to us. Upon coming to Him by faith, we accept His sacrificial death on our behalf and He forgives us of our sins. Praise God for that. And as a tangible down payment of our inheritance in the kingdom of heaven, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit who comes to dwell within us. An incredible miracle. When we can't even stand ourselves sometimes, God says, I want to make my home in in you. And He doesn't say, clean your house up first. You know how you someone's important come when you get the whole house cleaned up? He says, I want to come in and move in right now as is. And sometimes it's that fear, but God already knows what's inside of us. And God says, all I need from you is a willingness to let me in. And when we do that, God brings takes all of us to the first step of our journey, but it begins with that brokenness. So as we pass this first trail marker, it is the Holy Spirit who leads us forward to the next markers along the trail. Thus we begin the progression of our Christian walk. So as we continue on these Beatitudes, understand they're not just a bunch of blessings. It's a progression of trail markers that God sets up to say, oh, you're on the right path. And if you're not, maybe we need to circle back here and get the progression going. Matthew 5 verse 4, he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What does it mean to mourn in this sense? As we develop our relationship with God, we begin to understand how we have hurt and how we have betrayed God through our sins. We gain a painful realization that our sins separate us from God. God. This conviction causes sorrow in our hearts as we mourn what we have done. It's not just I'm upset because I got caught, but I'm mourning that I broke the relationship I had with God by me sinning. Furthermore, as we realize all that Jesus went through in being arrested and beaten and whipped and scourged and crucified for us, we mourn our sinful condition and our weakness of our resolve that brings us to sin. But when this conviction in our hearts leads us to repentance whereby we turn to Jesus in our time of mourning, we are comforted indeed. We are not left to stay and wallow in our pity and our guilt. God says, when you turn to Me, I will comfort you. In fact, one of the most refreshing verses Acts chapter 3 verse 19 we see this promise and Acts 3:19 says repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out you're no longer carrying guilt and shame god blots out our sins so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the lord you know what it's like when you sin and you mess up and you blow it and the guilt continues to attack you but God says, when you come to me, I am true to my word, I will truly forgive you of your sins. As far as the east is from the west, so far I will remove your sins from you. Now we still mess up, but we no longer have that guilt because Jesus died for that guilt so that we can live a life for him. Amen? Our mourning is comforted as we are forgiven by the grace of God and refreshed by the living presence of the Holy Spirit within us. Coming to this checkpoint is a great sign of encouragement to us at any stage of our walk. Yet it is what propels us early on to continue to live for Jesus and resist the world in every way we can. I don't know about you, but when I first came to God many years ago, I carried a lot of guilt and shame. About how I didn't measure up and how I messed up and how I couldn't do what was right. And when God came to me and He said, I love you just as you are. I didn't have to try to earn favor. And I thought God's been working on me. But when I got that unconditional love, it just propelled me to do, want to do things more for my God who loved me. That's what God does us. He comforts us when we mourn our condition. Well, Matthew 5 verse 5 tells us, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. As we continue on, we come to understand how to walk in both grace and power at the same time. Now, meekness is an aspect that defines a dedicated Christian. But what does it really mean to be meek? Well, let me tell you first what it does not mean. Because many people have a misleading picture of meekness. The phrase meek and mild has appeared in various hymns and descriptions of Jesus which often lead us to think that meekness is either being weak or being powerless like a young child. But that's not true at all. Meekness actually means great strength under perfect control. When Jesus went through His ordeal, His passionate the time of the crucifixion, when He went through that entire time, He had the complete power to stop all of it at any time. And yet He stayed submitted to His Heavenly Father and remained humble towards all who were on the outside. Because the Holy Spirit dwells in us, we are called to live in submission to Him. In fact, that last song we sang, there's twice it said, in perfect submission. What does that mean? That means I'm submitted to You, God, even though I don't understand what's going on, even though my flesh wants to respond in different ways, I'm going to stay submitted to You that You can work through me. We are called to live in submission to Him. We are called to not fight the world with our logic or our strength, but to remain meek, which means we are fully confident in trusting the Lord when things don't go our way. We are to do our battle still. It's just that our battle is not by our flesh. We are to battle in spiritual warfare. Praying passionately in the Spirit. Standing faithfully on the Word. That's why we're trying to get God's Word in us. And being bold in our witness. That's the battle that we do. In fact, Galatians 2.20, one of my favorite verses, Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me, in the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We need to remind ourselves of this truth. Because if not, then we start doing the fighting. We start doing the trying to get things back. Instead of just submitting to God and saying, "God lives in me, I've crucified my flesh," which means my flesh is no longer in the driver's seat." I'm going to let God work through me, even in my brokenness, even when things are going the wrong way in my mind, but they're going the right way for God. Well, as we come to this third checkpoint, we understand that it's not by might nor our strength that we overcome, but by our meekness, great strength under perfect control. It's by our meekness and our submission to God's will. And as we humbly trust our King who loved us, then we inherit His blessings. Well, Matthew 5, verse 6, our next trail marker, tells us, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. As we continue to build momentum in our Christian walks, we strive less for the world and we hunger more for the things of God. Now I say these all these things to say, we're not there yet. All of us are at different times and sometimes we're a lot further along and we have to start all over. And that's okay as long as we keep getting back on the track. So when we when we see that we're hungry and more for the rule, we need to go back to this trail marker or the one before it and say, what do I need to do to put myself on that right path? We don't do this out of obligation, but rather out of desire. How we hunger for righteousness. This happens as a result of our will changing and being transformed to God's will in our lives. You know how our will changes? It's not up here in the scriptures, but the Bible says that we are renewed by spending time in the world, in the Word. Not in the world, but in the Word. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so, almost any time I can tell you in my life where things were not going the the way I thought this should have been, where I was best up or down out, it's because I was not spending as much time in the Word. Because it's the Word that renews us and changes us and refreshes us and empowers us and gives us God's grace. So as we spend time in the Word, we're doing less striving for the things of the world and we're, we're reaching out for the things of God. As this occurs, we actually hunger for Righteousness knowing that our flesh may hunger for the world, which it will continue, but our spirit yearns for righteousness and more of Jesus in our lives. We come to understand at this checkpoint that it's far greater and more fulfilling to feed our heart and our soul and our mind with His righteousness. Even though your flesh will tell you it's more fulfilling to feed your flesh with its desires, but the truth is, it's more deeply satisfying and fulfilling to fulfill our heart, with God's righteousness. When we come to Him hungering and thirsting for what Jesus offers, we are filled by the goodness and the power and the grace of the Holy Spirit satisfying all our needs. Matthew 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. As we progress in our Christian walks, our hearts change And our actions follow as well. Anybody can talk a good game, and maybe you've heard someone that talks a good game, but their actions don't follow them. Or maybe you've seen that in yourself as well. I want to do it, but I keep doing something different. Well, as we continue on this progression, if we are merciful to others, then God's going to give us mercy as well. As we are sanctified by His Word and His indwelling presence, we seek God and His kingdom as we do this. As God's will becomes our will, we move with His compassion, desiring to show mercy to others instead of anger or judgment. We come to understand that this is God's heart for dealing with our sins when we come to Him. In fact, it is because of God's great love that the Ark of the Covenant contains a mercy seat instead of a judgment seat. And the blood of Jesus now covers our sins through God's mercy to see our relationship with Him restored. When we fully understand the mercies that we have, that we have received, instead of the judgment that is due to us, we desire to extend that same mercy to others as well. Now understand that this is God working through us to be merciful because He has changed our heart to lead with compassion in this way. As God sees our offer of mercy to others, His will is confirmed in the world. As we humble ourselves, God shows His great mercy in covering our sins. Many times we are harder than on ourselves than we need to be. If we come to God and truly repent, God forgives us and He sheds His mercy upon us. While walking further on, we lose our selfishness as the motivations of our heart begin to change. This is all part of the sanctification process. Sanctification means God is setting us apart. So when we come to Him and we pass each of these trail markers, God is setting us apart or sanctifying us to become more like Him. We need to choose to walk the path. God shows us where to walk if we listen. But this is all part of the sanctification process that God puts us through as He sets us apart for His glory. Matthew 5.8 Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. As we are sanctified by His Word and in His indwelling presence, we seek God and His kingdom with a purity of heart. With a purity of motivation and a purity of thought. And I know what you're thinking. I want to see God, but I have impure thoughts. I have impure actions. I have impure motivations. Listen, it's not lost. All of us sin. We just need to go back to that trail marker where we're not, don't got it yet, and continue to to go on and build momentum for Christ. God gives us His amazing grace, which makes up the difference. None of us are perfect. All of us are going to fail. But His grace covers, and so God looks at your heart and He says, "Are you trying? Are you are you giving me a pure mind? I know it's not to be perfect all the time. That's why grace is there. But are you are you striving for that purity in heart? Are you closing the doors that bring impure thoughts into you? Are you turning off the TV at times? Are you getting off the internet? Are you getting off your phone? You're not to be perfect, but are you trying to make it hard for that stuff to come in to pollute your mind? It's a." Difficult world out there now. Many of us look at when we grew up and it was it was rough, but now with all that stuff that's invading minds and thoughts through TV, through internet, through all that stuff, it's so accessible. It's hard. But we can't give up because greater is he who is in me than he was in the world. That's what we believe as Christians. Amen? Amen? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's because of this promise. That the enemy works so hard to pollute our minds and to hurt, get us with temptation and to cause our hearts to hurt with pain and our souls to have guilt. Therefore, it does no good to shame ourselves when we have impure thoughts or words or motivations. Our only response is to come directly to God without excuse and acknowledge our sins. God, I've messed up that we may be forgiven and cleansed and set back on track with a pure heart to start again. The Bible says that His mercies are new every morning. His compassions fail not. If you messed up last night, God says my mercies are new today. That is great news from our God. Matthew 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to make peace with us through the cross. And as we seek to share this message, God calls us His sons and daughters. Yet there is a difference between world peace and making peace with God. Making peace does not mean we compromise our faith or make excuses for sin. Making peace does not mean we pander to others who reject our belief in Jesus. The only way that we can make peace with God is to accept the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalves. This is how we join the family of God as his sons and his daughters. It is a complete transaction of grace. We don't deserve it, we just receive it when we come to Jesus by faith. With this understanding, we are called to share this message with the world. However, we don't beat them over the head with it or condemn them for their differences of opinion. If we are to be true peacemakers, we must learn to speak the truth in love. That's what our Bible tells us to do. We must demonstrate forgiveness. You know how you demonstrate forgiveness? Somebody offends you. And then you demonstrate forgiveness. Who's willing to pray that prayer? God, let me go through uh, being offended so I can demonstrate forgiveness. That's one of the greatest ways to evangelize. I know we don't pray that way, but maybe we should. I don't know. God, let me demonstrate your peace. Let me demonstrate your love. Let me demonstrate your forgiveness. We must refrain from judging others. And we must do our best to maintain an unoffendable heart. How do you maintain an unoffendable heart? It's by when you've gone through that progression and you realize it is no longer I who live in me because I crucified my flesh. It is now Christ who lives in me. It's one of the hardest things that we go through this life in doing. But God says, are you willing to keep seeking Me? If we're to be true peacemakers, we must speak the truth in love. The way we make peace with God is not by being attached to the world. We are in this world, but not of this world. We are passing through. Therefore, the world has nothing for us. When we get to this point in our walk with Christ, and understand this is one of the further trail markers that we're still leading towards to get to. But when we get to this point, we understand that God has given us great responsibility to share the message of how Jesus is the only one who can grant eternal peace. A peacemaker takes advantage of every opportunity to share Jesus with others. A peacemaker allows God to use him or her to extend forgiveness to people who may judge us or may treat us unfairly. A peacemaker does not react in the flesh or respond in anger, but continually extends grace and the hopes of shining the light of Jesus into a world of darkness. It's very difficult to live a consistent life where we are reflecting Jesus in all we do. But this is the way that we stand out from the world. The goal of the church is to not become so modern that it looks just like the world. Because then it loses its power. People are out there looking for a contrast. The way that we remain that contrast is we remain humble and we stand on the Word of God. We don't apologize for our convictions. We let them propel us on down the trail to give glory to God. It is God's Contrast, even in this church, it has allowed God to continue to move and do great things here. I thank you for everything that everyone has done here to continue to push towards that goal. So many people are living in offense today. People are angry with each other. They're betraying each other, insulting one another, slandering another, and fighting with their emotions instead of fighting through spiritual warfare. If we are truly disciples and followers of Jesus, we need to learn how to respond as He did. One of the most overlooked passages of today is when Jesus was falsely accused and arrested and His disciples tried to fight in their own strength with their own weapons. Do you remember that in Matthew 26? It's not preached very often today. Verse 51 And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. The truth is that today too many Christians have taken up the wrong sword. They are fighting on social media. They are fighting through politics. They are fighting with their words and fighting with their might. Yet Jesus made it clear that our weapons are not of this world. We have been instructed to wield one sword, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I'm not telling you not to defend yourself. But I am saying that we need to spend more time with the weapons that God gave us. By standing on the word, by praying and believing and demonstrating forgiveness and extending grace, even when it's not deserved because it didn't, we didn't deserve it when we received it ourselves, but it changed our lives. That's how the world has changed. The word of God preserves our minds and it purifies our hearts. Jesus even said, if you're not, if you, only the pure in heart see God. It is the word of God which keeps us humble. And meek. It is the word of God which causes us to hunger for righteousness and extend mercy to those who need a touch from Jesus. It is only when we get to this place in our walk that we will all be prepared for the final beatitude. You think this one's tough? It's only when we get through all these things that we're ready for that final beatitude, that final progression that God wants all of us to get to. Final beatitude, Matthew five verse ten. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my namesake. Verse 12, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Listen, if we're honest, we're not there yet. There's still too much flesh in us that's being allowed to control our responses and our attitudes. There's too much of us and not enough of Jesus in us. And yet, God desires that we all get to that place where we're no longer complaining. Where we're no longer arguing or making excuses, but only loving others by the power of Christ who firstly loved us, even when we didn't deserve it when our sole goal is to know God and to make Him known at all costs, we take persecution as a necessary marker along the way. We don't resist it and run from it. Persecution has happened all over the world right now to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We've not seen that at the level that's going on around the world, but it's happened around the world. Will you be ready when God, if that were to happen to you? The way we do is we stay along our trail markers so that we prepare ourselves to stay close to God. And God will prepare us. God will give us Word. God will give us power. God will give us peace in our hearts. We rejoice to know that God is counted us worthy to suffer in His name. That's what the disciples said. When we are at this place in our journey, God knows that we will not fight in our strength or defend things with our logic or respond with our flesh. He knows that no matter what the world throws at us, we will give out Jesus. That's the trail marker or the checkpoint that we are called to make peace with. This is where Jesus came to when He went to the cross and He went through the cross and when He rose from the dead. If we truly desire to become like Jesus, then we must stick to the trail and be led by the Holy Spirit and be willing to crucify our fleshly desires that we can reflect Jesus to the world in all we do. The truth of the matter is that we are all are at different checkpoints along the way. All of us are at different trail markers along the way. But we're all on the same journey. We are all going to the same place. We need one another's encouragement. We need the grace of God to continue onward. Sometimes we've gotten off track and need to circle back to a previous trail marker to straighten our walk. The good news is that Jesus offers us grace to begin again and to regain our bearings. Wherever you find yourselves right now, Jesus invites all of us to get back on track and to stay on track on the trail that leads to life. As you examine what each of these trail markers mean to you, I pray that God will keep all of us in His will and growing to become more like Him each day. May the Holy Spirit bring conviction to each of us with His grace on which trail, trail marker we need to be at or to visit or revisit to assure that we are growing in Him. May your guilt be washed away so we can continue to walk in His love and His grace and offer that same love and grace to the world. Step by step, we will walk the road together that God has laid out for each of us. But we will encourage one another with the Word of God as we journey together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the trail markers along the way. We thank You for all You've done to give us direction in a world that's very difficult. We ask You to bless us right now and by Your grace, bring things to mind of where we're at without condemnation, but bring things to our minds so that we can lay those things down and give our best for You. Because You've given Your best for us. As we reflect on the message today and the words speak to our hearts. We do not desire to stay in guilt or shame. We desire to be restored by Your refreshing presence. So bless us today in Jesus' name. Amen.